I want to welcome everyone. Uh, this is an exciting uh, webinar for us. We're going to turn this into a podcast so that we can break this up into pieces so that we can really understand what's happening in, uh, in the, the marketing and the, the manufacturing and the business development of how a, a drug manufacturer can become much tighter uh, to the community pharmacy and in, in becoming involved in really concentrating on specific disease states, placing a lot more of that control and information in the hands of the pharmacist that is, is caring for your patients. And don't have to tell you, you are the pharmacy champions. You're the champions of your community as a, as a, as a pharmacy owner. I have been in the pharmacy market um, in industry since 2004, and I started in long-term care pharmacy privately owned long-term care pharmacies. And the challenges that they have were very, very similar to community pharmacy. Um, and, and it was just compounded by volume and, and what they went through in controlling formularies and understanding disease states and how it ties into um, ultimately patient care. So my passion is connecting with organizations and people that believe in community, independently owned community pharmacy and how important it is that there's more control at your community level. And um, I think that that, um, that has, has become a, a gong that has become a megaphone for many of the national associations such as uh, the National Community Pharmacists Association and many of the strategies that they are building, um, including the uh, community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network known as CPESN. However, um, I feel like we're building a big jigsaw puzzle here and there are other players out there that really, um, I don't wanna say stand in the way, but do create interesting obstacles in, in marrying the uh, patient care from the community pharmacy and pharmacist. And um, the Pharmacy Podcast Network with 32 hosts that do nothing but focus on the business and the clinical and the exercise and the collaboration of pharmacist to physician. This is an important opportunity for us. And this is the first of a monthly webinar that we're gonna feature uh, stakeholders, um, subject matter experts, technologists, um, pharmacists, physician conversations, disease state experts, and even uh, manufacturers who are gonna come on with us to speak to our communities. And before I go any further, I want to introduce my co-host and somebody who has become uh, close to me uh, since joining the Pharmacy Podcast Network in October of 2020. Someone who is no stranger, has been around um, longer than me in community pharmacy and has worked for all three wholesalers, understands the plight and the struggles that community pharmacy has gone through. And what's really interesting is we are collecting new we are collecting established, we are collecting veterans in order to put together a think tank that is going to continue. This will not stop. This is going to go and this is going to keep progressing and we're going to continue to find champions out there to once again putting together a jigsaw puzzle with the community pharmacy in mind. The one and only Bruce Nealon. Um, thank you so much, Bruce, for, for host co-hosting this with me. Well, thank you, and and uh, hello, uh, podcast listeners. We're uh, we're glad to have you, and we know we've got some uh, remarkable things to share with you on this uh, episode today. Um, I get to be the uh, host of a of a podcast called Pharmacy Crossroads, and when Todd and I were kind of uh, conversing about this opportunity and came across the name, it both struck us as perfect for. 
for the content that uh, I try to bring to you and, and the background that certainly uh, uh, provides the opportunity for me to talk. And that's pharmacy is at a crossroads. And that's not good news. That's not bad news. It is just news. Um, good things are happening, bad things are happening, and uh, I think they're happening at an accelerated pace now that requires us to reach out and bring people like Dr. Alex to you so that we can think about opportunities uh, as opportunities rather than obstacles. So, um, you know, many things are going on. One of the things that I, that I like to share with pharmacists when I have an opportunity to chat with them is there's there is this crossroads where uh, some people are thinking that the that pharmacists are the people who fill prescriptions, and they are that. Um, and I argue that we ought to own the pharmacy, pharmaceutical part of of uh, healthcare. But above and beyond uh, uh, managing the prescriptions, we need to realize that there's an opportunity to step up and be a true healthcare professional. And um, the, the challenges in healthcare are enormous, but with challenges comes opportunity. So if we can find ways to reach across to prescribers, yes, even to payers, and uh, we've got a wonderful PBM person on the panel today, uh, prescribers, payers, family caregivers, uh, and community assets and resources who care for the health of people and want to make sure that they get the care and treatment that they provide. So there's a wonderful opportunity, comes with challenges. We need to find ways to get paid, and those are emerging, and Todd's mentioned CPESN and other groups who are tackling that on an organized uh, platform. One last thing, and then I'll, I'll be quiet for a while, is to realize that the opportunity that has presented with the, the COVID uh, situation, terrible situation. I remember a, a sitting in a meeting a year ago where somebody postulated that we might lose 250,000 people in a year. We've doubled that. But from a pharmacy standpoint, what has the doors that have been opened, the recognition that has been given to the profession, chain in independent for the ability to uh, administer this vaccine vaccines is enormous. And uh, we need to use that uh, door opening opportunity to move forward in other areas, which when we talk to Dr. Alex, we'll see what some of those new ones are. So Todd, that's it for me. You can turn this back over to the experts now. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I want to I want to concentrate on a on a word that we hear a lot and maybe it was a buzzword, but it it it's today. It's really a focus today. And that's transparency. Transparency to me means trust. So I've been in the marketplace. I've been in pharmacy long enough to find organizations and find people who have done exactly that. They've built their businesses on trust, trust in their community, number one but number two within their industry. And there's a man that I met uh, some time ago, over 10 years ago, his name was Jim Fields. And Jim Fields was a pharmacy owner and he was getting, he was getting punched in the head just like the rest of the pharmacy owners by many of the changes that were happening in the PBMs. And he got fed up, he's a very passionate man. And he had two sons and he had a son that went the way of becoming a pharmacist and a PharmD and his name's Ken Fields. 
and his other son, very much more business driven like myself, because I'm not a pharmacist either. And his name's Kyle Fields. And this family has built a community pharmacy, but they've also built a, a PBM that could help local employers. And what's happened now is that has spread across the nation with many of the customers and uh, employers that they serve. And it's always in mind to being able to keep things in control. And they've taught me a tremendous about, I can't believe how many times I drove over to Ohio to meet with them and learn from them. And I sat in awe as I listened to Jim, um, you know, talk about his passion. Now he's given those companies and, um, and really the reins to come to the next level uh, to Kyle who leads, um, who leads AproRx. So AproRx is a PBM who I've trusted for years, who has really taught me about what it is to be a fiduciary driven uh, trust-based um, pharmacy benefit organization. And, it, and it's the way things are supposed to be. So I, I am very proud to introduce uh, Kyle Fields, the CEO of AproRx as part of this think tank and as part of this, uh, of this trusted group, Kyle. Yeah, I appreciate the introduction. And again, yes, um, <laughs> I've always said that uh, you know, PBM is a three-letter word, but most pharmacies view it as a four-letter word. And my job is to make it back into a three-letter word again. But um, like, like you said, there are a lot of things in the industry that are, are not correct or, or intentionally uh, made to be uh, confusing uh, to, the, to the consumer, to the payer. And in a lot of ways, we found even this week where some of our competitors have found uh, and met their guarantees by not paying pharmacies. Um, in this case, it was every fill on a particular thyroid was, was a negative of $150 for that chain pharmacy. And again, we just, we just don't do that. And, and, and a couple of our taglines, just to throw it out there, is disruptive simplicity uh, and clinical decisions are fiduciary decisions. So we built this as a, as a clinically based PBM. And, and we're starting to, as we grow, we're approaching a you know, quarter million covered lives and, and, and hopefully continuing to go to the moon with this. Um, we think that it will be a, a very positive impact, not just for payers, but for pharmacists as well. Thank you, Kyle. You know, in my journeys, I've uh, had a, you know, a sweet spot because of the nerdiness in me to really drive answers to pharmacy owners and pharmacy operators through technology. And technology really becomes a common denominator in so many facets of, of, of our industry because of its math background. And if you think of technology, it really is based on science and math. So the common denominator that kept coming up from the time I was entered pharmacy in long-term care specifically was adherence and the ability to build uh, ways. You know, if you're a dart thrower or even a pool player, and I love darts, I'm not that good is I knew that if I kept aiming at the same spot, a way for me to correct where I was moving that dart in order to get closer was to make just small adjustments so that I could find my consistent pattern. And my dad's a, a bow person too. And he always taught me find that consistent pattern so that you can move. Well, that's exactly what adherence is. So a champion in technology that I ran into about six years ago was Mr. Bill Holmes. And the passion that eluded from this man and being able to put technology in the hands of the operator so you could constantly do things just like the dart over and over and over again. So you could make those very myscopic, minuscule corrections so that by the time you get to operation, you're not looking to the pharmacist to make such corrections. 
and in photographing the way that a pill looks and in photographing the way that a capsule is and being able to collect massive amounts of data and use that data in a system and in a process to ensure that safety is number one so that the adherence of a, of a patient is driven by the relationship between that pharmacist and that patient so that we don't have to worry about the technology. So we don't have to worry about the packaging. So mm -hmm. one of the trust people in my, um, I don't want to say Rolodex, it makes me sound old, but literally in my contact database and my Rolodex is Bill Holmes and his team. And that's why that they're here today. That's why they're helping to host this webinar is because I trust him. I trust his team and I trust that what they're looking out for is the efficiency and the profitability of community pharmacy and ultimately the patient safety. So I wanna introduce um, Mr. Bill Holmes and Brady Chatfield from RxSafe. Uh, thank you, Todd. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today uh, addressing all of your audience and to be in such fine company with the rest of our, our uh, co-hosts here and, and uh, our, our experts on the panel. Uh, Brady Chatfield's here next to me. Just wave your hand, Brady, so put a face with a name. Uh, Todd and I have known each other for a long time, and I think we have a, a, a mutual respect for uh, a couple reasons. First of all, what we all care about, all of us here on the, on the screen or on the podcast, care about first and foremost, the reason we get up in the morning, what gets us in the car and down to, down to work, is we want, more than anything, to improve community health to have patients have healthier lives and to live more fully through pharmacists who are practicing at the top of their license. So what does that mean? That means that the outcomes we seek will reduce deaths. Uh, we have under, under 125,000 unnecessary deaths a year. My dad was one of them. It's very personal for me. We want to reduce the half trillion dollars of waste in spending in healthcare that comes from people who aren't taking medications correctly, experiencing med errors or other similar difficulties that put them into an emergency room or a hospital or a critical care unit. And that isn't just expensive. It affects the lives of the patient and their families and all their friends. It's devastating to the community at large. And as Todd said earlier on, we have uh, an opportunity of the 21,000 or thereabouts independent pharmacy owners, we have an opportunity to work together. And I'll call it what I would like us to start referring to, Todd, as the world's largest chain. CVS has 10,000, Walmart has 10, uh, 4,000, Walgreens has 10,000, and, and then it goes down from there. But no group is larger than 21,000. So I'd like to start thinking holistically of us as a chain, a competitive chain. We have advantages. Other people don't. PillPack doesn't have a local presence. Large corporations lose continuity and, and, and contact with their patients at the level I know the caregivers give in independent, independently owned pharmacies. So we're here on that mission. We think that pharmacies are going through a transformation now. And I think we spoke to that just a moment ago. The transformation is to have pharmacists thought of more highly in the community if that's possible. They're already the most trusted uh, profession. And, and to think of it now as not just the most trusted profession, but, but a services provider, not just a pill counter or just an advice giver profession. And so to practice at the top of your license, you need to get out in front and start talking to the people who need you, your patients. 
and provide them advice and guidance, not just on medication, perhaps on nutrition and perhaps on, on supplements as well. And we think the transformation can be assisted, can be guided and accelerated in pharmacy. That transformation will come through adherence packaging. You know, a simple box with a strip of pills in it with a single med time stepped on each pouch, patient-specific information included. For people then to go from seven and a half average refills and vials in, in uh, chronic medication, chronic disease medication, to 11 and a half, we know it's well-documented. Patient health will go up dramatically. People will take the right medication, take it on time. If my dad had had one of those boxes, he would still be here today. That's important. It's very important to the community, but it's also important to the pharmacy owner for the financial health of the pharmacy. If the pharmacy is not financially healthy, and here we are today talking about PBMs that are destroying your financial health. That's our goal here today is to, is to find a way to start to transform and, and, and reverse that trend. But if you're not financially healthy, you don't have the resources or the time to help your patients be healthy. And so we have to attack both issues. And from a, from a financial health point of view, there's no better demonstrated way to improve the financial health of a pharmacy than to have adherence packaging. And as a typical example right here behind me is a strip packaging automation system that will fit in your pharmacy. And when I say fit, it will fit physically. It's only 33 inches wide. It will fit financially as a very good return on investment, typically one year. Cash flow in as little as cash flow break even in as little as three months, and it will fit from a workflow point of view. It's a single, uh, streamlined, automated workflow system with little or no rework to pouches, unlike uh, other systems. So we are here on this mission. We applaud everyone else who's trying to see it the same way and to provide the same kind of uh, nurturing to help our pharmacies become financially healthier. And ultimately, as I said, we all want improved patient health. And Todd, thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely. So the, um, the, the guest today, the special guest is someone that I met about uh, two months ago who was on a podcast because I saw a press release about Mark Cuban getting involved in drug manufacturing, which if you see that and you follow uh, Mark Cuban, who's an absolute um, you know, genius when it comes to entrepreneurial initiatives to build something um, as, a, as a conduit to extend um, a, a solution somewhere else and starting in telecommunications. And, and coincidentally, I came from uh, Sprint Business and AT&T before I got into pharmacy. It was really interesting to see that he was jumping in so aggressively into drug manufacturing and finding um, a, a company and, and enhancing and investing in a company where it could really make an impact in order to circumvent some of the status quo that we're all experiencing in this pharmacy market. So I wanna give um, the, 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 the megaphone and the speaker to our, our guest of honor today, um, someone that um, I think a lot of that's, that's very passionate about patient health as the number one uh, goal of, uh, in all of this. Um, Dr. Alex Ashmanoski, um, welcome to this webinar. And um, I'm so glad that, that you're here to really be part of this, um, this collective. And that's exactly what it is. It's, a, it's this jigsaw puzzle of healthcare. And 
and there's so much to there's so much work to be done and having a drug manufacturer involved at this level at this intimate level um, between um, patients and and a pharmacist is pretty special so welcome dr alex oh thank you todd uh, we really appreciate all that that's very kind of you uh, no I, absolutely delighted to to be here today and to to be able to to talk uh, about uh, you know some of our initiatives some of what our plans are going forward uh, you know, we just put out a, a, a little trickle of information into the, the public sphere uh, about, uh, you know, some of our plans for uh, the coming year, coming two years. And, you know, we'd be delighted to, you know, sort of put a little bit more context around those plans and kind of the direction uh, that we're going. Um, so, you know, uh, Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drug Company, uh, right there in the name, uh, you know, we're planning to uh, make low-cost versions of, of high-cost drugs, uh, and, uh, oh, there's our webpage. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, uh, basically reveal to the public what our, our manufacturing co costs are. Uh, so, you know, disclose publicly what our, you know, uh, input costs are, what our ma machinery costs are, what uh, our distribution costs are, what our salaries are, uh, and then put a flat 15%, uh, 1%, 5% margin on all of the, the drugs we produce. Uh, and yeah, uh, essentially, you know, uh, building out a sterile fill finish facility uh, in Dallas, Texas now. Uh, the groundbreaking ceremony will be this, uh, this Friday after many years of work. Uh, so excited about that. Um, that'll be focused specifically on sort of rare disease, uh, shortage orphan drug products. Uh, and that's one part of our business. Um, and kind of the other part of the business we haven't, uh, you know, sort of uh, gone into detail with in our sort of media appearances so far is the, the private label side of our business. Uh, so here we're, we're sourcing drugs that other manufacturers are making, uh, typically, you know, your, your ultra high cost uh, generics and just putting our own label on them. So our own NDC code, uh, and then setting a transparent uh, AWP and WAC price, uh, uh, which is 15% above what, you know, with the WAC price being 15% above what it costs us to, to distribute the, the actual product itself. Um, and, you know, part of the idea there is, you know, in the, uh, you know, in sort of any capitalist market, uh, you know, where you have a opaque market where the buyers and sellers don't know the price that that's being sold or bought at, and you have sort of artificial prices in between. The, the, the winners are not either the, the buyers or the sellers. Uh, in this case, the, the pharmaceutical manufacturers and the, uh, uh, the pharmacies and patients at the end of the day, it's the, the people who are brokering information in between are the winners of those kinds of markets. Um, and in here you have that in spades, you know, uh, independent pharmacies are struggling. Uh, the actual generic manufacturers are, you know, working on razor thin margins, uh, barely profitable if at all. But, uh, you know, the, the PBMs and wholesalers are all fortune 20 companies. And that's even before they all merge together in a, you know, sort of monopolistic hellscape. Uh, so, you know, uh, <laughs> clearly there's some, you know, <laughs> Uh, clearly there's something something wrong with the system where patients can't afford their medicines and yet uh, no one, uh, pharmaceutical companies can't can't break even um, so what we so you know our part of our solution is to uh, build sort of a, a parallel supply chain uh, with good actors like we have on us today uh, on the panel with us today uh, with independent pharmacies 
that basically works in that works in parallel to compete with the sort of big vertically integrated monopolistic supply chains. So, you know, in there we act as a wholesaler, you know, a de facto wholesaler, um, and have our own 3PL solution to, to distribute products, uh, and basically just publicly advertise the price, uh, and uh, yeah, hope to, to drive business to independent pharmacies from there. Uh, so sorry, I've been sort of ranting and monologuing, but, uh, but yeah, excited for the, for the discussion today. You are the guest that we want to talk with. So we want to hear rambling and we want to hear kind of the ideas and the scalability. And that's the first thing that came to my mind when I originally interviewed you. And I'm not sure if anyone has listened to that interview, but I will put it in the show notes. Um, so that they can um, you know, consume that information on their own time. But let's talk about that scale. What are the first steps in order to engage and get your product to community pharmacy? People that have been in pharmacy marketplace for such a long time, they're used to a very specific distribution model. And sure. of course, the very first thing I think of is you know, the buying groups that have been key in, in success of uh, community pharmacy and being able to collectively come together and be able to negotiate as a, as a group. And then number two, uh, the, obviously the wholesaler and how that wholesaler uh, works. And we're talking about the, obviously the big three. And we've all experienced over the years, some of the smaller wholesalers too. Um, I used to work directly with HD Smith and I built actually a pharmacy buying group that was through HD Smith. And of course, um, based on how the markets have changed, um, those companies have been gobbled up and or have gone out of business. So the very first question I have is the distribution model. Would you be able to describe that to our audience of actually how that would work? Sure. Uh, so, you know, I kind of view our competition uh, not really so much as the actual generic uh, pharmaceutical companies themselves. Um, you know, we do uh, pitch ourselves that way to the public. Uh, and part of that is just, you know, uh, you know, the general public doesn't know, you know, I'm sure if you stopped, uh, no offense, Kyle, but 99 out of 100 people on the street, uh, they would have no idea what a pharmaceutical benefit manager is. Uh, Agreed. And <laughs> so no offense. Uh, but, uh, you know, and similarly, you know, if we were said we're going out to the public, uh, to innovate in the wholesaling marketplace, no one, no one other, you know, that would not get, but, but everybody intuitively understands what uh, a pharmaceutical company is. So that's part of our marketing there. But I really view our competition more as the big three wholesalers and the big three PBMs um, in terms of introducing transparency into the marketplace to, to really get past them. So, you know, uh, for that reason, we're not really looking to, um, you know, distribute our products through the big three wholesalers. Uh, but that being said, the, the buying groups are, are an incredible resource for us. Uh, so I do think it makes sense to, to go through the, the independent pharmacy buying groups. And we are in this, you know, I have non-disclosure agreements in place, but we are in discussions with some of the, the buying groups to uh, distribute our products. Uh, and of course, you know, there's uh, going directly to the independent pharmacies themselves. Uh, so, you know, uh, you can order our products direct from our from our web page, uh, you know, set up an account uh, and yeah, go from there. Uh, you know, I know it's, it's challenging, you know, at the moment it's not too bad because, you know, we only have one product publicly announced at the moment available for purchase. But, uh, you know, eventually you reach an inflection point where, 
you know, the big three wholesalers demand that you get 90% of your products from them or you lose a rebate. Um, and yeah, that is, you know, I think part of the challenge is just providing data and analytics for, for independent pharmacies saying that, you know, uh, in, I know it feels like you're beholden to that rebate, but at the end of the day, just getting it at transparent prices is going to be less expensive than actually putting it putting up with a sort of malfeasance from the big companies and, and waiting to get that rebate. Um, so, you know, that's part of the challenge is, is getting the infrastructure in place to be able to, you know, provide everything necessary, whether that be through, through partnerships with buying groups, uh, but, you know, be able to find ways for independent pharmacies to get around, uh, you know, sort of their, their large wholesale contracts and actually bring more value, uh, save more money for the independent pharmacy, uh, doing that rather than working with uh, with the big three wholesalers. Hey, hey, Todd, let me uh, 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 interrupt and ask a question here. We had a couple of questions about people wondering uh, the types of products. And, and I know right now, Dr. Alex, you've only got one. I, I don't know that you're in a position to hint at what some others might be or how soon, but it might be helpful if you took a, mi a minute and told us about the product that you have and uh, what that does and, and what you're doing with it, it might give our listeners a, a better view as to this, you know, the, the niche that your company is gonna fit in the industry. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Bruce. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, you know, albendazole is great because it's a great case study about these sort of bad market dynamics and, you know, sort of the things that have gone wrong uh, to, to make this drug so expensive. Uh, so, you know, albendazole is an antiparasitic drug. Uh, you know, it's used to, to treat a variety of conditions. Uh, it's actually indicated for, for neurosystosarcosis, but is often used to treat a wide variety of, of other different parasites, including hookworm. Um, and uh, for, for several indications, you only need two tablets for a complete course. Um, you know, a patient takes a pill day one, a pill day two, and their hookworm infection is, is typically cleared. Uh, and in most of the world, uh, you know, each tablet of albendazole retails for about 50 cents. You know, it's, it's a drug that's been around for, for decades, way off patent. Um, but you know, what wound up happening in the US uh, is because it is a relatively small market niche drug uh, and it was very inexpensive, uh, the manufacturers of the products uh, gradually dropped out uh, and chose not to manufacture it anymore until only one manufacturer was left. Um, uh, and that, and essentially that manufacturer became the, you know, quote unquote, bad guy of the story at that point. When they realized, hey, we're the only person with an active ANDA on this product, we can, we can charge whatever we want. Uh, and they did. Um, so, you know, they, drove, they brought the price up uh, dramatically at that point. Um, and you had, and, you know, uh, essentially it came up to like $500 for a, for a two pack of albendazole, something like that. So, you know, literally, you know, a thousand percent times, not a thousand percent, uh, 10,000 percent more expensive than in anywhere else in the world. Uh, and yeah, essentially other pharmaceutical companies saw this and thought, hey, we can profit on this too. Uh, so over the course of the next several years, you had uh, several other entrants join the market for, for albendazole. And you find that the actual uh, you know, dead net price of albendazole has, has dropped precipitously over the, over the last year, two years. Um, but uh, the list price is, is still high. So 
who becomes kind of the, the bad guy of the story at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have this information available directly to me, but some, uh, well, some of our, some kindly farmers have dropped the knowledge to me that at least last time they checked, uh, you know, the list price for uh, a two pack or per tablet of albendazole, I should say, uh, is uh, $120 from McKesson. Um, apologies if that's out of date, but as of about a month ago, it, it, I was told it was accurate. Um, and so, and at the same time, we're able to acquire the albendazole, again, you know, in the context of non-disclosure agreements won't be precise, but for about $10 a tablet. Uh, and certainly McKesson has dramatically more buying power uh, than we do. Uh, so presumably they're getting an even better price. Um, so, you know, who's capturing that Delta in between the two? Um, and yeah, that, that, that it becomes the, uh, it, it becomes the wholesaler effectively. Um, and if you, and what's true is if you look at, you know, a whole, uh, you know, the secondary wholesalers who pass on the true cost for the most part of the drug, you'll find it's comparable with our, our product. Uh, it's just that price is not publicly disclosed. So if you're a cash pay patient, uh, you don't know that, you know, I've had patients reach out to me and go, you know, I have been living with hookworm for three years and it's miserable, uh, but I can't afford, you know, $500 to, to treat my hookworm for two tablets of hookworm. Um, and yeah, uh, you're like, wait, this is actually, you know, you can, you can get it for, you know, 20 bucks. <laughs> like that's, you know, it's crazy. So for those cash pay patients, uh, suddenly it becomes very valuable uh, for there to be an alternative to that product, which is transparently priced. Uh, and that makes up somewhere around eight to 10% of all patients are still cash pay patients. Uh, and similarly for patients with high deductible plans, uh, you know, they're, the amount they're actually paying for the drug uh, is, uh, is based on the AWP sort of artificial list price. Uh, so, you know, you have this group of patients that's, you know, paying many times more in co-payments than the drug actually, actually winds up costing. Um, so, so yeah, our, our goal is to introduce transparency and help those patients by, uh, basically revealing what the price of the drug actually is, um, and having, yeah, having it sold for, for those accurate price points uh, and, you know, saving uh, the uh, independent pharmacies uh, money along the way by, off by offering it that, you know, those true price points rather than the, you know, McKesson, Cardinal, Marisource Bourbon price points. We have a question from Devin Trone that says, so a really good new secondary and not replacing the big three as a primary wholesaler for independence. I think you've already answered that question. You're really, you know, this is a starting point. Um, overnight, this isn't, you know, a, a full skew wholesaler per se, but can you kind of address uh, the plans of the future? And I don't think you would have put in this amount of time uh, to just have one skew. Matter of fact, I know that <laughs> So. Yep, absolutely, Todd. So uh, we are planning to, to scale dramatically and hopefully will become, uh, the, you know, a full uh, competitor to, to the big three wholesalers at, uh, at some point in the future. Uh, you know, how quickly we scale, you know, I'm hoping it'll be, you know, a year, two years rather than, you know, 10 years for, for obvious reasons. Uh, but yeah, we should be uh, releasing several other, uh, you know, 
cautiously optimistic about, you know, a hundred other SKUs uh, later this year. I wanted to go to another question by Michael uh, Toko, and he said, could you please discuss how you will compete with rebating and discounting and the inflated billing opportunity it provides for PBM health plans and larger chains? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so you know, that's part of kind of an, an, an active conversation and experimentation that we're kind of playing with. Uh, part of the reason we launched with only a single product was to kind of experiment there and see how the reimbursements uh, wound up working. Um, you know, part of our plan, uh, you know, we're very fortunate in that we have essentially a celebrity spokesperson uh, in addition to a, to a large level, you know, in addition to an investor. Um, and he can begin the process of kind of like educating the public about why rebates are problematic, uh, you know, why these things are, are bad. And, you know, if, you know, the, the big three PBMs uh, kind of refer, refuse to play ball, then, you know, he can kind of call them out on that and say, you know, why aren't you honoring the price points that we, that we actually use? Um, and part of it also, I think, is, you know, partnerships like with, uh, with Kyle. Uh, you know, hopefully we can work with, uh, you know, uh, honest, transparent organizations along the supply chain pathway uh, to, to get actual value to the patients and find out who those good actors are uh, that we can that we can work with to uh, to get our you know products out there at those transparent price points rather than being forced into or you know well we won't be forced into it because we just will refuse to play ball uh, but who you know rather than working with the bad actors who insist on you know obscuring the true price of drugs for for their own interests. Kyle, I think this is a good segue to um, you describing how would you work with a manufacturer who's prepared to be transparent and to work with you to build out specific formularies based on disease state or however that may work, Kyle, if you had the ability to, you know, work with a, um, a drug manufacturer, how would your PBM do so? Again, I'll start, I'll, I'll pull back just a little bit and, and kind of answer in a, in a more broader way uh, to also include that answer is that a PBM unfortunately has become the gatekeeper for, for, medications for medicine, for, for pharmacy, and, and they shouldn't be. They should be a conduit, uh, but not a, not a choke point uh, for, for, for medications. And, and I've spoken in front of drug manufacturers, in front of other PBMs, in front of my industry partners. And again, it's, it's <laughs> Dr. Alex touched on how very few people know what a PBM even is. And that's, it's quite unfortunate when you're dealing with, with getting drugs to the marketplace, you're dealing with costs, et cetera. We built this PBM, as in my brother and I, along with our, our father, is to be to be not just transparent, but the epitome of transparency, where every decision we make is based upon the, the best clinical interest of the patient. And then this, the secondary piece of that, as we found out, is that the more clinically based we are, the better financially off the patient and the employer or payer has become. So, so to answer the question, if we find a medication that's out there that is that is works better and or less expensive, it should be have access to the marketplace. And one of the, and since most people uh, post Obamacare are, are, have prescription insurance from one way or to another, there's no reason that, that a PBM should be a, a choke point and a gatekeeper of that medication to reach in the marketplace. So again, what we do, since we don't have a vested interest in what's filled, where it's filled or how it's filled, we wanna put the best clinically foot our best clinical foot forward so that 
if, if, if Dr. Alex comes up with a drug that cures cancer, the first question it should not be, what's the rebate going to be back to the PBM? It should be, how are we going to get this as seamlessly as possible to the, to the consumer, to the patient, uh, as, as, as affordably as possible as well. And so again, it's, 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 it's working with, with Dr. Alex, it's working with pharmacists in the marketplace. Pharmacists, each and every pharmacist in the United States should be their own PBM in a way. They should be the conduit to talk with employers and people that they service in their areas of, 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 you know, of how they can save money, of how they can get medications to their patients and how that that particular pharmacy can service to them. Um, independents are unique and independent pharmacists are uniquely qualified to do this. And some may not believe that, some may not uh, even understand how to accomplish that. But the way to do that is to take PBM technology, to take, to take your degree, if you will, and, and know that you are the one that should be making those decisions for those employers, because you know that you're clinically based and you're gonna make the best clinical decision on their behalf. Yes, we're all capitalists. Yes, we wanna make money, but you wanna know exactly what your PBM is being paid you know, on a per claim basis, on a per member per month basis, either or. Again, true transparency. What other industry do we have out there where you don't know what you're paying for? You don't know what, again, you don't know what you're paying for and you don't know how much it's costing. And, and all pharmacists in a lot of ways, all they see is our negative claims. You know, we see that you know, being a pharmacy owner, owner myself, at the end of every day, we all know our print-offs at the end of the day or in the morning. We, we all see those negatives or anything under a dollar. We do what we can to, to, to rectify those. So what we did is we found that we can control the plan. We can become a PBM and start going to employers and picking off the good pieces that are out there. This medication over that medication. Take this, not that. Here's the clinical reason why and the potential cost savings associated with it has been life-changing for, for countless employers that we represent. And with Dr. Alice coming to us and saying, you know, and, and my, my thoughts, his thoughts together, how do we get this to the marketplace? Go to a, the good PBMs, get it, to the, get it to the marketplace. There's no unnecessary markups. There's no rebate games. And in the end, the patient gets a medication that is cheaper. The employer is paying for a medication that's cheaper. And again, cheaper medications and all the studies out there that the cheaper something is, the more compliance and, and adherence that you'll have. Can I ask a question, Kyle? Yes. So in this scenario, I mean, your PBM is not likely to be the PBM that's going to be a customer coming into any particular pharmacy. Can you address that issue of the pharma, the physician rights for the, the, the drug and the patient comes in with their uh, PBM payment card um, and the copay is 50, 60 bucks or whatever, but the cash price is 30 or 40. How do you, how does a pharmacist deal with uh, massaging that so that the person pays cash, but they're paying cash less than the copay? Well, again, I would definitely refer to the laws of your local, of your, of your respective states, but I know in the state of Ohio, they, they uh, got rid of any of the gag laws here in the state of Ohio which has been excellent for the freedom of a pharmacist to, to find the lowest price for the patient. Um, so if, if there are particular gag laws, again, I, I don't know specifically where each one of our viewers is, is, is viewing from, but um, it, it's, it is working with the patient uh, to, to see if they're, again, independents are so much better at this than, than chains because chains will just take the loss anyway. 
Um, we, again, we dealt with that all week. Uh, this week with one of our clients uh, going from going from Optum to us, you know, we found out that one of the pharmacies that uh, chain pharmacies uh, uh, <laughs> was was taking between $150 to $200 loss per prescription on a brand name uh, thyroid medication. And, and the, the employer wasn't aware of it, the patient wasn't aware of it, and they're wondering why their costs went up a little bit, but it really, they were being given a gift. <laughs> and the PBM was the one that was, that was uh, making the pharmacy take a loss. So again, to your question on defining what is the cheapest price, um, again, I would, I would refer back to the, the, your local laws but in the state of Ohio, we, we make sure that we give the option to, to the patients um, as a pharmacy owner as well. Um, uh, we run through, you know, any of the options that are out there. And again, if it's cash, it's cheaper than the insurance, which is mind numbing, the fact that that would ever be the case. But um, I would just have them, you know, run those scripts. Um, I'll can I jump in just for a second? Because I think that's a very uh, uh, good lead in to a point I'd like to make. Uh, I know that Todd has, has had a lot of uh, interest in helping uh, communicate uh, a really important message, as has RxSafe. And that is that the state of Arkansas uh, passed a law years ago, written by uh, Mark Riley, or at least co-authored by Mark Riley there, uh, to uh, eliminate those uh, crazy practices in, in, uh, in laws that were essentially uh, encouraged or lobbied for by PCMA to uh, prevent, legally prevent pharmacists from saying to someone at the window, um, your co-pays uh, 50 bucks, but the cash price is 20 bucks. You couldn't do that in Arkansas. So the state's attorney general, Leslie Rutledge, who is a great leader in this industry and I think is running for governor and hopefully will get a lot of people's support because of her uh, her affinity for community pharmacy and what she's done to help. But they uh, they passed the law that was overturned by the uh, uh, by an intermediate court, um, I believe the uh, Eighth Circuit. And uh, the uh, decision finally made its way to the Supreme Court uh, uh, not long ago, about a month or two ago in a very famous case uh, called uh, Rutledge versus PCMA. And the, what was at stake was the ability for a state to stop these practices that were contradictive to independent pharmacy owners and ultimately patient health and patient finances. So what, what happened there was the, the, the Supreme Court heard the case and that case uh, was very rapidly decided upon months before schedule, and it was eight to zero in favor of supporting the Arkansas law of allowing transparency in that industry. 18 other states are currently considering legislation to do exactly the same thing. Ohio's already done it. So uh, I would focus our attention here as a community, uh, a, a large chain of 21,000 independently owned pharmacies to support NCPA, who sponsored and paid for that legislation and is currently now suing HHS uh, for some of the exact same reasons about DIR fees. So we have a very active, very successful, very capable group, very long-term, long-standing in the industry, NCPA, RxSafe and other uh, uh, sponsors, um, I won't name them because I'm sure I'll leave one out and I don't wanna do that, have contributed to help that legal defense fund collectively with the um, audience 
of a recent podcast for NCPA talking about this exact case just before it went to the Supreme Court for decision, raised over $130,000 to help pay for that legal defense that NCPA is undertaking. They need our financial support on an ongoing basis for the work they do, which is directly germane to the problem we're talking about today. Thank you for that. Um, I do want to get to some of the questions and realize also based on some of these questions that <clears throat> this is not going to happen overnight. Like the, the business model that we're trying to build, which is not the status quo, is going to take um, camaraderie. It's going to take continuing efforts. It's going to take brainstorming your questions. It's going to take real life, um, you know, it's not pie in the sky. We need to boil this down to how it actually operates day to day and month to month in an independently owned uh, community pharmacy. So um, we wanted to act, ask Dr. Alex again, are you able to disclose any disease states or any medications that you have on the horizon um, that you'd be coming out with in, in, a, in, in addition to the one that you are, are launching your, your uh, business model with? Sorry, I, I think that was part of your last question and I just got uh, got lost in my own answer. Um, so we are being relatively confidential about, uh, you know, which products we will release next. And, you know, part of that is competitive and trying not to be boxed out of certain arrangements if we <clears throat> disclosed what we want to do ahead of time and then bigger actors come in and undercut us uh, sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, I think it's not so much disease states we're looking at. It's more individual opportunities to, to benefit patients, be that, uh, you know, diabetes, cancer, cardiovascular, um, you know, uh, antibiotics, anti-infectious -inf disease medications. Uh, you know, I think we look across all those sort of product portfolios and see which individual products, uh, you know, for our initial launches uh, will drive the most value to, to patients and to health systems. Uh, rather than, you know, saying we're going to be a, a diabetes company per se. Uh, so it's less, so it, it'll probably be across disease states. Um, I do think it's safe to say that, you know, a disproportionate amount of these products tend to be in infectious diseases. So that'll probably be a significant number of them. Um, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it's actually going to be pretty broad, I think. Thank you. So I'm also um, wondering we have uh, a pricing question from Devin uh, Trone again. He says, will these uh, drugs become the new WAC and then submarine those who do not get the uh, drug from cost plus? And the reason that he, he said this is he says, I'm worried that the big PBMs will include those prices for reimbursement in pharmacies, not buying from cost plus maybe uh, SOL. Um, they will for sure be selling the drug below cost. So there's going to be aggressive tactics, I'm sure, Dr. Alex, that you're already aware of. You've actually told me on the previous podcast about um, organizations already trying to buy you out from the very beginning um, in going directly to um, Mr. Mark Cuban uh, to try to kill this before it even grows into something. So I think there's worry here, but can you kind of address um, the concern of, of, of the question? Sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think uh, paradoxically, it might actually wind up working out the other way. Uh, so the products we don't make, uh, you know, effectively, we, you know, if I'm being intellectually honest about it, we're revealing the prices, we're sending them close. Uh, remember, I was talking to an academic pharmacist uh, in California, and he's like, how could you possibly do this? 
like uh like this you know he, he just didn't believe me that we actually had these prices and weren't losing money he was like you know uh like it's this a scam of some kind i was like no we're actually affiliated with mark cuban and you know that was all this stuff but uh you know why, why i say that uh is you know intrinsically the other companies can actually undercut us uh, if they want to because we're buying from them and adding our margin on top of their margin so if anything you know what we've seen with albendazole is the nadac listed price has dropped approximately 50 percent since we went public so I think what'll wind up happening is the cost to acquire these products. What I predict will happen, and you know we're still seeing it playing out in real time with our first product, is the actual cost that you guys as pharmacists will wind up paying to anybody would be that you know Mark Cuban cost plus or you know any any of the other wholesalers. Uh, I think that pro or other manufacturers, if you purchase direct from them, will drop down precipitously uh, after we bring out these products. So that the people who I think will We'll wind up hating us are you know the one the people that can no longer afford no longer charge those you know exorbitant markups as intermediaries in the supply chain um but you know i think if anything we will you know and this has this is a business problem for us and ensuring sustainability uh is how do we actually remain how do we remain competitive on price uh after we reveal what the prices actually are because we can be undercut on those prices uh, and, you know, there's various solutions we're, we're going to experiment with, with on that. But, uh, but yeah, I actually think it's the other way around. I don't think, uh, you know, the, the big manufacturers will, you know, uh, that we will demolish everyone in our path. I think it'll be the other way around, to be honest. Uh, but just things will be more honest in the transaction process. So I'm going to ask um, the audience to to give me this answer if you know this answer. And of course, I'm opening this up to the panel as well. We know of another company that is also uh, doing a direct um, relationship with community pharmacy. Medicure out of Canada bought Marley Drug, Dave Marley's um, pharmacy out of North Carolina. And Marley Drug was a mail service pharmacy that had license in all 50 states, which was very strategic of Medicure to be able to distribute their medication through Marley Drug, which was brilliant. And, and, and we applaud that. So Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drugs is not necessarily the first, but does the team, does the panel know of any other manufacturers who, know, who are now also going in the direct um, the direct, I don't want to say direct to consumer, but the, the consumer being the community pharmacy, but to direct to, to pharmacy model so that we can stay ahead of this. And the reason why I have this panel put together and the way, the reason why we have, um, you know, um, pharmacy owners involved in this on live is because we want to get ahead of this. We want to embrace uh, models like, um, like Dr. Alex's company and Medicure and really build this, you know, this this coalition so that we can encourage this. I mean, we have to encourage this so that we can, uh, we can be um, patrons, we can be um, partners, and that we can get other organizations saying, wow, there's a business model here to cut out the status quo and to really start partnering with um, 21,000 as, um, as Bill um, alluded, a 21, that would be the largest group of pharmacies in the nation if we did so. So, um, you know, our strength is that we're independent. Our weakness is that we're independent. Um, that's <laughs> always been the, the ebb and flow. But um, does anyone know of any other uh, companies other than Medicure or Mark, Plus, uh, or Mark uh, Cuban Cost Plus Drugs 
uh, that is a, a manufacturer going directly to pharmacies. I don't see any notes in the in the but Bill or Ken or, or I'm sorry uh, Kyle or um, or even Bruce have you heard of any other companies other than Medicure or um, or Dr. Alex? I have not. I have not. No. The uh, you know with with that said the the pitch that I would put in here for Dr. Alex to contemplate. Um, is uh, I, I think in a previous conversation we talked about uh, many people could benefit from this particular drug, the one you have now, but the cost is prohibitive. Um, but yet, if physicians knew that there was a an affordable version available, they could write increasingly more prescriptions. And what I would wonder about is, is what tools you might be able to give to pharmacies to approach their physicians to increase the prescription so that people can get cured of this terrible disease. Is there, is there a business model that you foresee where you would uh, encourage, perhaps even compensate, and I have no idea what the legalities around that would be, but it, it get pharmacists to build demand? Oh, no, that's that's really interesting, Bruce. Uh, so you know, uh, you know, obviously within the context of Stark laws, you know, um, yeah, you know, we, we have to always consider that. Uh, but um, you know, we have had we have been doing direct physician outreach as well uh, to change prescriber models. Uh, you know, and in particular amongst the for albendazole specifically, let's say, among the uh, physicians that prescribe specifically. Uh, that specialize in parasitic diseases is a relatively small community. And in most of these uh, rare high, uh, rare disease, orphan disease categories, you find that there are sort of sub-sub-specialist doctors and generally in a relatively small community which really focus on these individual patient communities. Um, and it's pretty easy to reach out to them. Uh, generally, they struggle with this, uh, these problems significantly. Like they're, they're pro you know, all of their patients uh, have this problem with affording their medications. Um, so in terms of, of uh, in terms of growing the actual market for these products by, uh, by decreasing their cost, I think that's, uh, you know, absolutely a possibility. Um, you know, I think, you know, for example, you know, to take an example from the gen the branded drug world, you have uh, Suvaldi. So, you know, the cure for hepatitis C, um, and, you know, clearly the market for that is everybody with hepatitis C at the moment, uh, but uh, everybody with hepatitis C doesn't take it because it's, you know, it is so expensive that it would bankrupt health systems um, to, uh, to actually, you know, to actually make it uh, for, available to everybody simultaneously. Uh, so, you know, can you move things on the supply demand curve uh, to, that to that intersecting X point? I do think we're, we're at a point uh, on the, the supply demand curves uh, for several products where, you know, the market is not what it is because uh, the cost, the supply is low, the cost is too high. Um, and, you know, can we move that back? Uh, I think that's very much a possibility. Thank you. Dr. Alex, could, could I ask you a question? I'm not sure if you're free to talk about it, but, you know, Mark Cuban is, is the, is the uh, celebrity behind your, uh, your moving forward here. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk about his interest and passion in the space 
and his commitment to what's happening here because it always takes, you know, there's a lot of little guys in this equation. Uh, he's not a little guy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's been surreal, I'll be honest. Uh, so, you know, if you've ever watched his, his TV show, Shark Tank, um, you know, you hear uh, over and over again, uh, this description that they work really closely with their portfolio companies, um, you know, they, they help them very directly. And at first, you know, as a, you know, jaded viewer of reality television, I figured that was, you know, just what they say for a good story. Uh, you know, cause you know, I had, I'm sort of a serial entrepreneur. I've run companies in the past. Um, and generally, you know, you, you get investors and they give you uh, their investment and, you know, they offer to help and, you know, generally they do, they make connections or whatnot, but for the most part, they disappear. And, and that's actually a best case scenario, you know, it's sort of a nightmare is, you know, if you get a, a, an investor who gives you a really hard time, but, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate, uh, had good investors who sort of give me investments disappear and then are happy to cash out when, you know, the company is eventually sold. Uh, not necessarily what we're planning here. You know, we have no plans to to sell the company at really any point that would kind of defeat the purpose. But, uh, but yeah, Mark is, has not really been like that at all. He is very involved, very personally passionate about it. You know, I, I certainly don't want to speak for him, but you know, he's involved in company operational decisions on at least a weekly basis, if not, you know, emailing several times a week uh, about what is going on, helping with, with all sorts of things. So, you know, what they project on the Shark Tank TV show is actually true. The investors are actually very involved in day-to-day -day operations of the portfolio companies. And uh, frankly, I'm flabbergasted he has that much time. I have no idea how he manages his life uh, between all the different things he's, he's got going on. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I always feel bad because when I take like an, a couple hours to respond to an email or God forbid a few days, uh, because he always turns things around within five minutes, regardless of when you email him day or night. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's, uh, at least my impression is that he's very passionate about these issues and very personally invested on multiple levels, uh, in the outcome of, of what we're doing. And how did you guys come together if I might ask? Oh, I, uh, I cold emailed him, you know, uh, he has a, an email account, mcuban at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, I sort of emailed on a, on a whim, uh, not really expecting anybody to read it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, he personally reads all the emails that come in. Uh, and if people pitch him, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's not like one of his minions. Uh, he personally reads all, all the emails. Uh, again, I have no idea how he has the time. Uh, apparently he get, I think he, I saw him on an interview somewhere say that he gets like two, 300 cold pitches a day. Uh, and God bless him. He goes through them. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I know that because some of the healthcare related ones he forwards to me, it's like, what do you think of this one? Uh, so yeah, I think he, so yeah, uh, you know, he read the email, um, uh, invested a small amount in the entity at the time, uh, which was called OSHA's affordable pharmaceuticals. And yeah, just became more and more enthusiastic, uh, wow. as time great went story. On. Mm -hmm. great story. I want to go back to a question about um, what Bruce had to say about marketing this uh, service. And I think, you know, we start with a grassroots effort. You know, there's uh, there's 200 plus that initially started out listening to this presentation. And there's another uh, probably 1,000 to 2,000 over the next course of 30 days who are going to consume this via the Pharmacy Podcast Network. So let's just take the 200. If you 200 pharmacists com, uh, were committed 
to educating your physicians that you now have a service that's going to save money for their patients based on a disease state, based on ringworm, for example, um, that could create orders, which is going to accelerate this. So I yep. think this is, we have to start off grassroots. We have to look to the community pharmacy, um, to the community pharmacy um, as the educators, uh, to the physicians and to the patients, uh, letting them know that there are options in this specific category and then just accelerate that. Um, I'm 48 years old. You know, I, I hope to be around in this business for another 25, 30 years, uh, God willing. And I'm going to continue to beat the drum um, as the stars of the show are the community pharmacy owners. And they are passionate about their communities. They're passionate about their patients. Um, and I'm going to fight the message and, and do everything I can to get it out. But that's not as powerful as 200 uh, additional voices or 400 or 500 to 2,000. And then coming back to what Bruce said, 21,000, you know, pharmacists. Uh, imagine if you threw the magic switch overnight for every ringworm case um, that we could flood orders to uh, Dr. Alex's, you know, website for that medication. Um, that's going to increase and that's going to start the ball rolling to get other NDCs and other uh, medications on the list and get um, that acceleration. But um, we have to start somewhere. So, um, you know, are we, are we saying that this is the magic bullet and this is going to solve all the problems of community independent pharmacy? Absolutely not. But I am saying that this is a new model. This wasn't here a year ago. It's here right now. And I think we need to concentrate on it and start, if we're ever gonna make you know, monumental changes, we're gonna have to take this in stages and we're gonna have to support Kyle. We're gonna have to support Bill and his company. We're gonna have to support uh, listening to these podcasts and forwarding these podcasts. We're gonna have to support Dr. Alex. So uh, this is about supporting each other. We're supporting you and we expect that you're gonna support us as well. And um, that's what my call will be to the audience today is, is, is send Dr. Alex your, your contact information. Tell him that you heard this podcast. Tell him that you were on the panel. Tell him that you were part of this audience. Ask questions, you know, it, let's be as transparent as possible. Um, share your, your frustrations with me or for, for Bruce. Bruce and I both have mammoth um, networks and connections back of what we can help you. I wanna help you. I wanna help every, every single independently owned community pharmacy out there some way, somehow. And the, so does Kyle. Kyle is so, has soaked since he can remember. He can't even remember not being part of community pharmacy his entire life. So there are champions on this call and we need to continue to build out um, this coalition and this list and these strategy sessions. Um, next month, we're gonna have Medicure on. We're gonna have um, Dave Marley and Medicure on and we're gonna do this thing all over again. I wanna build this. I want this to become a collective and a thought leader um, way of thinking together so that we can make um, sustainable, scalable changes to, uh, to supporting community pharmacy. I know that we have a couple more questions. I, I did wanna ask from Devin Conley has asked, why is MAC pricing necessary? Transparency into MAC lists is nice, but, but isn't the using MAC unnecessary if AppRx uh, could use the NADAC? Um, Kyle, did you wanna answer that? Um, yeah, the, again, uh, 
I think Mac will still have to be involved just to make sure that pharmacies are still buying correctly, not necessarily for the, the Dr. Alex's of the world, but, but to make sure that it's fair to the to employers. Um, very rarely do um, uh, pharmacies in our network get, get Mac per se because, uh, uh, because of the PBM typically because uh, they're, they're buying poorly. <laughs> Um, uh, either from their, their bad deal with their, their PSAO or their uh, uh, wholesaler that they're currently uh, working with. Um, but we do make sure that, you know, especially with our acquisition plus model, that each, each pharmacy is profitable every time a, a patient walks into the door and, they, and, a, and a claim is processed. But we also want to make sure that employers are not overpaying for, for medications uh, because there still are bad actors out there in, in the pharmacy space. Uh, in independence chains, regional chains, to make sure that our job as, as the manager, um, uh, we're looking out for everyone. Um, and so the, and we all know, I think all the pharmacists know out there that uh, you've had reimbursements uh, when brands go generic of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, that's because the PBM hasn't updated their system yet. And, um, and we make sure that we monitor from both sides of the angle. So pharmacists are reimbursed a fair price and then uh, the, the employers are, are charging the same amount as well. So again, back to that price transparency. Thank you. We do have um, another question. This is um, coming from uh, Patrick Lavella. And he said, are you planning to bid on GPO contracts, group purchasing organization contracts to get your product out there faster and become more competitive quickly. And because of your model, will you then offer your products to all GPOs at the same price without back-end discounts or chargebacks? Uh, so short answer, yes. Uh, yes, all of the above. Uh, so in particular, the one products that we are actually manufacturing through our, our sterile fill finish facility, a lot of those uh, you know, are actually directed to the inpatient uh, hospital space uh, rather than to the retail space. Um, so there, it makes a, a lot of sense for us to go through the through the GPOs um, uh, again with full tri price transparency uh, to the buying groups. Uh, so you know, we operate through a third-party logistics firm, and that is quite expensive. Um, so to the extent that uh, you know, we ask that they charge the same wholesale price, no matter what we do uh, to, to everyone who buys. Uh, but to the extent that they can save us, um, you know, money in terms of that expensive, you know, shipping and distribution part, you know, they can capture that Delta. But so long as every, no matter who sells the drug to at the wholesale level charges the same price, uh, you know, we're basically okay with it. Uh, but again, um, you know, insisting on price transparency along the way, whether that's our 3PL that does the logistics or another wholesaler that does it for us in terms of a buying group, so to speak. Right. So very good. There's an interesting question from Alex Alexander Miklo, who said he owns four retail uh, pharmacies and one long-term care pharmacy. And he's associated with the McKesson Health Mart franchises and he wants to take advantage, of course, of, of any of these buying opportunities. He has uh, been bound by performance metrics that are contract-based, which require a certain percentage of purchases through McKesson. Um, and I know where he's going with this. He wants yeah. to know, you know, how will this impact and affect him? And my comment is, you know, Health Mart and McKesson have a very tight relationship, but uh, 
Nem is it Nemish Javari or ha Havari, uh, Bruce? I can't remember, but uh, Nemish uh, Havari is his, is their CEO, their president. He's very passionate about community pharmacy. Models are changing. The old guard is going away. So if organizations like Health Mart, um, which could be looked at as kind of like a buying group that, that wanted to get involved with this in order to stay ahead of the progression of this coming, Medicare and cost plus drugs are not, the, are not going to be the last manufacturers that are gonna enter this market because, um, because of competitive, the competitive nature of what's taken place. So I would say um, out to Alexander, you need to write a sincere uh, letter uh, or email, um, or I actually say letter, you wouldn't believe people open mail more than they do email, by the way, that's a, that's a trick that you can do. You send them a physical piece of mail and they'll open it. Um, but if you send him an email, I mean, I have that guy's uh, email address, send him an email directly and let's just cut out you know, the, the bull crap and just start saying, hey, are you gonna be open to the evolution of what's happening in the drug manufacturing and distribution marketplace. Um, and you would uh, strongly suggest that Health Mart um, pay attention to um, what's happening in the marketplace in order for the survivability and, and viability um, for uh, community pharmacies. But thank you for that question. Let me, let me jump in because I am the wholesaler in the group. So um, uh, I, I know that uh, Dr. Alex is aware of these performance um, uh, metrics and the and the rebates. He's made mention of that. I, I would uh, ask whether he's uh, in uh, thinking about, aware of, or investing in the technology that it would allow people to uh, know whether they are open to buy from his uh, from his company at any particular time. Um, I know there's a number of companies. Uh, you know, uh, uh, specialty distributors who specialize in that kind of stuff and just wonder, Dr. Alex, are you aware of that technology or, and are you open to looking at it? Oh yeah, most, uh, most definitely we're, you know, open to anything at this point, you know, we're still, despite uh, our bravado, still an early stage company. So anything that uh, yeah. really, really helps us uh, get through um, though, you know, at the end, you know, I think our end goal is to get rid of the performance metrics, to be honest, because, uh, you know, that's just another way that sort of pseudo monopolistic entities keep their pseudo monopolies. Um, so, you know, how do we break through that entirely? Uh, you know, that's the, you know, high level, you know, ambition rather yeah. than to just, you know, play within those rules and get help people get around them. It's just, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how many people watch, watch Game of Thrones, but, you know, to to break the wheel, so to speak, that's, that's keeping everyone, you know, sort of trapped in these uh, sort of bad market practices. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, certainly something we, we'd consider, but, uh, but, you know, I think our, our longer term ambitions are, um, you know, to, to just get, you know, find a way to get, get the performance metrics out of the system, basically. Good, good answer. Thank you. What else? There are other questions coming in. Um, you know, I, I'm excited that this is even happening. I think it gives us, I think this gives us all hope that models are coming and players are coming into the marketplace to, to disrupt uh, what is the status quo. And as, as I'm, a, I'm a faithful um, participant and a faithful partner to community pharmacy and to those that empower community pharmacies like 
RX safe and like APRA RX, um, they're so important to, to continue to, to come up with events like this, as well as thought leadership and roundtables. Um, we're going to continue to do these. I want to do one of these once per month to bring on subject matter experts and leaders that are doing things differently, not just the status quo, not something that's already been uh, thought of. And like I said, uh, next month on, on April 6th, we will have another one of these. We'll be interviewing um, Medicure and, uh, and Dave Marley, who's just a phenomenal um, owner uh, of, a, of a community pharmacy, Marley Drug, started uh, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, um, PUT, um, and, and they're just a, a fighting organization for the advocacy and, and, and promotion of community pharmacy and the, 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 the ability to just run your businesses without having to have some fee come back two, three months later um, you know, in the form of a, a DIR fee and the, the frustration that that brings. But um, I want to ask uh, Dr. Alex, would you um, give us a way to, to do some follow-up with you, whether that be either through email or maybe even if we collect a bunch of questions that we can get to you, and then I can easily create a distribution mechanism to get that information out so that you don't have, um, you know, hundreds or thousands of of emails coming in. Um, obviously the pharmacy podcast, we're producing content six days a week. So it would be easy enough to just have you back on um, the show to, to answer a lot of these questions. But I see a couple emails coming in. If you want to send questions to us, you're more than welcome to do that. Like I say, I, I fight for not only pharmacists, but community pharmacies every day. Um, so you can send it to publisher, the word publisher, at pharmacypodcast.com. Uh, once again, that's publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. But Dr. Alex, we'd like to stay in touch with you. We would like to support you, continue to really promote some of your messaging. Please keep in touch with us. Um, Bruce Nealon is just a, an, um, you know, a megaphone out there with his show. Matter of fact, I could see Bruce having you on uh, Pharmacy Crossroads. Um, also staying in touch with Kyle and the Fields family of what they're doing um, with the transparent PBMs. And I think there's some insiders information and knowledge that they have that could, that could help uh, cost plus drugs. And we wanna do everything that we can to, um, to support this model and future models um, like this, uh, Dr. Alex, so thank you. Well, thank you, Todd. Uh, you know, I, I really wanna echo what you say is that uh, you know, I think it's going to be a coalition of, of good actors that are really going to be transformative and, and break down these systems where people who are not involved directly in, in patient care are the primary beneficiaries capture the most value. Um, you know, I know that a lot of the frustrations I hear from, from independent pharmacists, uh, you know, believe it or not, you, you get the exact same frustrations from the other end of the market, from the generic drug manufacturers even from the branded drug manufacturers. I was talking with the, the CEO of a large branded drug company uh, last week and you know, it almost surprised me that he's like, yeah, I hate the, you know, uh, the rent seekers in the market. You know, they're capturing a lot of this value. And yeah, it should be the independent pharmacies that are making more money. It should be the pharmaceutical. I know this sounds weird for me to say given our messaging, but the generic pharmaceutical companies should be making more money because they're the ones taking the, taking the risk, you know, doing all the work. Um, you know, your uh, independent pharmacies are the ones that are, you know, caring for the complicated patients. Um, so, you know, but, uh, you know, no one entity is going to be able to, to do enough things to really break through the system. So it's really 
all about joining forces and, and having these conversations and collaborations going forward uh, where we, we build things together. And uh, yep, uh, I do apologize. You know, I put my public e email out there, but uh, you know, especially right after we went public, we were get I was getting like 10, 20,000 emails a day. So, you know, my, my response times have not been great. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's brilliant, Todd, uh, if you'd be able to do that uh, sort of, aggregate questions altogether for, for us to communicate. Absolutely. So Todd, it's, uh, it's very simple. It's just restore a free market to the space yeah. with visibility and transparency. And, uh, and we'll go back to where we were pre-PBMs and pre-PCMA, where pharmacists earned a good living and deserved it. And so did the generic manufacturers. Uh, this is a scourge. You can't call it anything but that. It's an accident that happened through uh, unintended consequences from, you know, legislation, and uh, you know we we now have a problem because of the size and the lobbying capability. Um, you know, PCMA is putting up billboards in these 18 states considering legislations actually saying the f independent pharmacy owner is the reason you have high drug prices. It's unconscionable. They will do anything to maintain the greed they have in the space, they need to be stopped. And so for everyone with the courage, and Mark Cuban in particular, to stand up and try to right the ship, uh, you have my heartfelt thanks. Yeah, Bill, 100% agree. You know, the system is madness and yeah, the status quo cannot hold, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, it, it's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a battle, but you know, uh, the more, the more people we can have fighting by our side, the better. We have a unifying force here, guys. We have 21,000 in our group. We're the largest chain in the world. And if we unite and focus on this problem, we will achieve success. Great. To answer a question, this is being recorded. We ask that you forward this to a fellow pharmacy owner. We ask that you forward this to um, even a state legislator, somebody that doesn't understand how this works. And I think a explanation and some of the information that Kyle shared was very important. I think things that Bill has said will resonate and make sense. And I think, like I said, this is a jigsaw puzzle. And if we can put this together, it's going to be very powerful as we move forward as organizations and, and people that are committed to community pharmacy, but ultimately working for the patient to ensure the patient's getting um, a, a fair cost of, of drug and that they can go to their community pharmacy with the questions that they have. They're very worried and, um, and get the answers and, and continue to build the trust that the community pharmacy puts in place. And I think that, like I said, I started, I started this presentation and this webinar with the word transparency and trust. And I want to end with it that way. Remember that, um, that's what it, where this really all comes down to is, is trusting each other and, uh, there's no reason that we can't be successful in this, um, but we have to help each other. We have to be there for each other. Um, I wanna thank uh, Kyle Fields and your family for the years of service that you've put into this marketplace and, and with your heart and your blood, sweat and tears, literally. Um, uh, thank you, Kyle. I wanna thank um, Bill Holmes and, and Brady for hosting this event and helping the Pharmacy Podcast Network to reach as many uh, we got over 500 responses to this event, which means that there's lots of interest in this. Um, I want to thank Bruce Nealon for being a champion and 
someone who I look up to as a, as a conduit of information for community pharmacy. And then finally, our special guest, Dr. Alex, thank you for being available. I know how busy you are. And I just want to let you know that the community pharmacy is keeping an eye on you. And um, the Pharmacy Podcast Network will be here as a, as a megaphone for you so that we can continue to get uh, this messaging out. Every time you guys come up with a new NDC, we want to be able to tweet LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and push out the messaging of, of what you're doing so that we can get it in front of as many community pharmacy owners as possible. I want to say thank you. Thank you to all, everyone. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Bruce. And thank you, Bill and Brady. And thank you, Alex. We're, You're welcome. We're Appreciate we're, it. Thank you. Back uh, April 6th. Let everybody know April 6th, we will be back talking with Medicure. Excellent. Great. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, thank everyone. You.